Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hi, and welcome to the show, and uh, today is Monday, and it's uh, March 20th, 2023, and Dr. Tim is actually um, attending a funeral, so I'm going to play a Guy Findlay interview for you, and Michael and I will be live during the second hour, so we'll see you back then. Thank you. Enjoy the show. This is Mind Shifters Radio. I'm your host for the first hour, Tim Hayes, and... Um we're uh, grateful to have Guy Finley joining us today. In our Mind Shifters radio show, we promote, we teach, and we support people in using very practical tools for improving the quality of their lives. And it's because our, our only guest for today, Guy Finley, talks so much about how there is nothing more practical than true spirituality that it's a great honor to welcome Guy. Guy Finley is an internationally renowned spiritual teacher and the best-selling self-realization author. His books and audio programs have sold over 2 million copies worldwide in 26 languages. His seminal work, The Secret of Letting Go, is considered a spiritual classic. Guy is the founder and director of Life of Learning Foundation, based in Merlin, Oregon, and as well as being the host of the Life of Learning Foundation's Wisdom School, which is an online self-study program for personal self-discovery. His new book, Relationship Magic, Waking Up Together, is a practical guide that provides couples with the unique, enlightened tools to transform their relationships from mundane to magical. For more information, we encourage you to visit GuyFinley.org or Relationship Magic Book, all one word, RelationshipMagicBook.com. And it's a great honor for me to have Guy with us because, as I said, he, he understands the same kinds of tools and principles behind the tools that we teach in the MindShifter support groups and on MindShifter Radio and the tools that Dr. Michael Rice makes available on his website, whyagain.org. And beyond that, Guy brings a delightful writer's, artist's eye, a storyteller's voice to these deep truths. So, please, Guy, welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh, You're very welcome, Tim. I'm glad to have the time with you. 
I, I would like to take a moment and let you save your voice a little and read for our audience a little bit of why I say you have the artist's eye and the storyteller's voice. From your <laughs> I'm book, all ears. <laughs> from your book, it says, All of our relationships are a kind of mirror. Standing before the mirror of our relationships a ceaseless reflection of that relationship as it unfolds, we are given to see something about who we are in that moment. In this way, each relationship serves to reveal to us something we may not yet have realized as being true about our present nature. In other words, whenever I'm around you, there's the prospect of being introduced to a me parts of myself that I have not yet met. Here's an example of this powerful idea and how it works its magic in us. Maybe we're on a nature hike. When we round a bend, suddenly finding ourselves standing at the foot of a towering waterfall. It's majestic. A delicate mist covers everything, catching the sunlight, creating a million tiny prisms of colored light. There's never been such a moment for us because we have never been who we are in that same instant. In such moments, we are filled with an incomparable sensation that is one and the same as meeting a whole new level of our being. Or perhaps we look up to see an unending night sky. And in our relationship with that dark expanse, we experience the feeling of something deep and vast within us. We sense the presence of something eternal. In that moment, we are given a glimpse of something we would never see otherwise. The timelessness we feel stirring in us has always lived in us. Much as in the fairy tale, Sleeping Beauty is awakened from her deep sleep by the kiss of Prince Charming, so can all of our relationships with everyone, with anyone, serve to stir us awake, not only that we might experience some deeper, truer sense of self, but so that through that same awakening, we may touch and be touched by a higher order of love that can be realized in no other way. Can this man write or what? So that's why we encourage people to check out your book, Guy. We have people on the call who are studies students of this kind of work and anxious to hear more about your book and why you wrote it and how you got to this place. <clears throat> uh, thank you, Tim. That was, I, I enjoyed listening to you read the, read the book. Look, we are, all of us, I like to say, sort of <clears throat> paraphrase, I guess it was something in the Quran. Uh, birds fly, fish swim, men pray. Uh, we are, as human beings, 
created to uh, realize in our lifetime a relationship with the world around us, all of the people, all of the circumstances, every last created to realize that within us is a, a, a possibility that thought will never touch. We know because of the fine example that you read, not because it's mine, but it's something all of us can relate to, we know without taking thought that those moments are supernal, they're sublime. I, I, I'm asleep in one respect until something stirs me, and in the moment of that stirring, I'm awakened to an aspect of my own consciousness that without that moment, without that mirror, I don't know. Which means that in that same moment, and this is a very important idea, what I realize, while I've never realized it before, has always lived within me. Which means that my, my being, the potential of my consciousness, already contains with it, within it everything that I will ever experience. It's, it's profound if we can wrap our mind around it. There is no experience that we will ever have that isn't already in our consciousness. That means that the task isn't to go out and create experience so as to perpetually realize, but rather to start recognizing that relationships in this life, whether they're just the relationship of looking out the window as I am right now at the morning break in Southern Oregon on the mountain, or it's the relationship of talking with someone that we love. Those moments are revelations. And every revelation, if we understand it properly, means something that we have never seen or met before in ourselves is suddenly brought up into our awareness in that moment. And that's key to the book and everything else that I write and teach about. We have a, a, a choice. And the choice is, what do I do with that revelation? For instance, when I'm with my wife, who I've been with for nearly 40 years, there are certain things about her that uh, <clears throat> I know before she starts talking that what she's going to say, because I, I can see a certain corner of her mouth turn up, uh, a twinkle in her eye, and I know she's going to start talking about something she loves. <clears throat> and I already feel that, that, that happiness because in that moment, my wife is stirring in me a corresponding part that finds contentment with what she manifests. That's a wonderful relationship. But in that moment where I love the revelation, of that part of myself that my wife awakens me to in that same moment what if her little mouth turns down what if she has a, a look in her eye that says I need to talk to you about something serious in that same moment it's a revelation the task is what do I do with that revelation because one I embrace wildly for being something that shows me something about myself I like to see and the other, I reject. And not because my wife is to be blamed for her attitude, 
but because it's stirring in me something that parts of me do not want to know about. So when I reject the revelation, it's the same as rejecting self-realization, and that's to the point of it. Relationships are the mechanism, if you want, through which a human being becomes self-realized, but only when they understand the axiom, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Well, that means every shape and form of the teacher, not just the one that we like. Wonderful. It's it's this, the idea that you're laying out opens the possibility that I can be okay with whatever unfolds as long as I use it as a teaching moment. Yes. Look, in, in, in one respect, we, we say things like, I'm going to use it as a teaching moment because our assumption is, whether we admit to it or not, is that somehow the world is revolving around outside of me and that <clears throat> it, here come these select moments and I should be open to them and receive the lesson. And that is the truth at one level, Tim. But the truth is the world isn't revolving around me, outside of me. The world is inside of me. There is no self without relationship. I, I beg everybody to think about it for a moment. That's part of the old koan from Buddha's work. You know, if a tree drops a branch in the woods and there's no one there to hear it, does it make a sound? What he was alluding to is the idea that everything in existence, everything that does exist, exists because of a mutual dependency. And without something to be aware of a moment, there is no moment, which means that the moment we're aware of is unfolding in our own consciousness. So the world I see is not outside of me. That's the biggest thing, Tim. That's the secret of gradually letting relationships free us, fulfill us, perfect us. We think the world we see is outside of us. It's the nature of our nature. Our senses divide us up into the things we see and feel and the self that thinks it feels and sees them. But the truth is, it's not that way at all. The world we see is not outside of us. And when we can begin to understand that, which we've just been proving, if I look up at that night sky and I feel the depth and breadth of an endless ocean of stars, I, I look out the window and here come the girls uh, about eight or nine deer that I've hand-raised over 12 years. Why do I want to go outside every single morning to meet the girls? Because when I'm with them, the, the union of their being and the consciousness in me that is revealed through that into integration produces a revelation of something that is already inside of me. So though the girls are outside, the night sky seems to be outside. Where is my experience of it? And isn't my experience of it my consciousness of it? If we understood that, we would stop blaming people, Tim. We would, we would realize that there are parts of us that are hurt, things that have remained concealed, 
carried through time because we didn't understand our relationship to life. But we would gradually take every last one of these moments and allow the moment to do what it's intended to do, which is to introduce us to ourselves so that we have the overall, the whole experience of the moment instead of the one that this lower self selects to prove that it's right or wrong or someone else needs to change. Wonderful. Wonderful. I have the, um, I have a, a, a highlight from your book that says, as long as we believe that anyone else is responsible for our sense of well-being, we will feel it's our right to keep spurring them on until they get it right. Exactly. And this reminds me of Dr. Rice's definition of codependence. It says, whenever I think or speak as though someone else is responsible for what I'm feeling, what I'm actually creating with my own thought, I have just created a codependent relationship. That's correct. Now, the only thing I would add to that is that we need to understand, and this is to the heart of my book, that it isn't I who creates a codependent relationship. That would be like saying it's I who jumps in a fire. It's I who agrees to, to become an addict. There is a level of consciousness that we are presently living in and from, and it is asleep. It does not understand why it exists. It only has for its reason for existing the identity that is perpetuated through the illusion of this separation. So that if I become in a relationship that creates codependency, and all of us have and probably still are to some extent in a relationship like that, it means because I didn't know what I was doing. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, it's so, uh, how do you say, it's an amazing thing. You talk to people all the time. Everybody says they want to learn. Everybody says they want to be realized. They want to grow. The moment that comes along that indicates something's going on. Here's an example. I just posted this on Instagram. Imagine a, an aspirant comes to see his teacher and says, Teacher, I, 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 you know what? I've been, I'm as thick as a brick. I know I'm, I'm, I want to wake up. I, I, I'll do anything. I mean anything. I've come to that point. Please tell me what, I'm, what must I do to go beyond the point I'm at, to which the teacher turns to the student and says, Are you sure you want the answer? Well, of course I do. I wouldn't have come if I didn't. Teacher says, all right. The problem is, you see, that virtually every moment in one way or another, something in you is denying reality. To which point the student says, I do not deny reality. <laughs> <laughs> now, does, does the student know what he's saying? when he summarily resists something that challenges the image that he has of himself? Or is the student asleep and the teacher's offering him a chance to at least consider that because of the images, the ideas, the beliefs that he has about himself, 
that he summarily rejects any moment that threatens that identity. That's the task, and that's what relationships provide, a way in which we can be suddenly standing in the light of an understanding that we have brought with us, in quotes, this level of consciousness has carried forward from time something that no longer serves any purpose at all. And since it serves no purpose in the real moment, other than God willing, us understanding it's time to set it down, then if it's still acting in our name, saying, I do not deny reality, I am not defensive, I am not afraid, I am not angry, fill in the blank, if it's still doing that, then that's a limitation on the revelation of the moment. Because the revelation didn't come. Teacher wasn't judging the student. Teacher was saying, look, you know, dear boy, I love you, but you still have this incredibly defensive attitude born out of any moment that threatens some precious image you have of yourself, including being someone who wants to be realized. If you could see that you just got angry at being told that you're defensive, then you'd realize that there was in that moment a chance for you to see something has come with you into this moment. Here it is. Will you take a look at it? Will you let the light show you this this limitation so that you can begin to realize it isn't the teacher's opinion, his approval I need. What I need is to wake up from the dream that without the approval, without something confirming me, I'm no one. Then we have a chance, Tim, to, to use every moment of our life for the purpose in which it is given to us. As you're talking, I remember a story you told about the roving reporter who went out and discovered a road that wasn't on his map. And as he drove down the road, he saw people lined up standing in front of walls, banging their heads. And when he went out to try and talk to them and find out why they don't just walk around the wall, a wall came up in front of him. And the one person that he saw walk through the wall when he finally got his attention the old man came back and he said, you know, how did you walk through that wall? And the old man says, oh, it's nothing. I just 11 words. Who I have been is powerless to take me any further. Yeah. That's and, you get, and you get at that so beautifully in so many different ways in the book, and especially in terms of relationships. Yes. Because that's, look, what do we, what do we fight over? What do any two people fight over? Not just man and woman, any two people, any two political parties, any two countries. What do we fight well, over? I don't, know about, I don't know about you, but I fight over who's right. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly it, Tim. Because I have, in that moment, I'm look, I'm sitting uh, at a restaurant and uh, minding my own business, and for whatever reason, somebody walks over, and says, aren't you so-and-so? And maybe I am, maybe I'm not. And I, I might say, well, no, you've, you've mistaken me for someone else. And then that person says, no, no, you've got to be. And any moment in which something challenges us, there's this sort of fight-or-flight reaction. belongs to a, 
lower level of consciousness clearly, no different than the deer or the lion. And in that moment where that, that, that part of the brain fires off, it, it feels threatened and it can only resist the rest of the moment that it sees as being a threat to it. But if we examine that moment, what we discover is that, and this is very important in our relationships with our partner, the reason that I'm threatened in an argument is because my identity is vested in my belief that you have to be what I expect you to be. And I don't realize that you need me to be who you need me to be, which is really a level of codependency that's sort of innate in these earlier stages of a relationship with our partner. Because we, we, we bound, we, what are the, we, we, we bound, we, not bound, we, we're bounded. <laughs> bonded, that's what I'm looking for. We bonded in the early days because everything you said and did tickled me pink. Do you, everybody remembers falling in love. There's nothing that anyone can possibly do to you in those early days that you don't fight, find delightful. <clears throat> and even the things you don't immediately like, you bury them because there's too much stuff going on that's good. I call that the woo-hoo stage of a relationship. <laughs> you know, that's where, for all intents and purposes, you are bringing out the best of me. I didn't know I could be so fascinated. I didn't know I could feel that kind of you know, thrill. I had no idea my body could experience that kind of jubilation on and on. But by natural processes, that woo-hoo stage starts to morph into what we could call the boo-hoo stage, where instead of the best of me, you begin to bring out the rest of me, where parts of me that now have kind of, uh, what does B.B. King say, the thrill is gone? You know, now exactly. I'm starting to not just notice these, what I call imperfections in you, but they're starting to bother me. So I go from this wonderful, can't talk to you enough, be around you enough, to having these buttons that I didn't know could be pushed. And the real point is, and particularly what you brought up, the pattern begins to emerge where I blame you for pushing a button. But what I have to understand if I want the pattern to end is that you didn't create the button. It came forward through time with me in an unknown body of consciousness that carries these badges, these buttons, as the result of incomplete experiences that were met with incomplete, incomplete understanding. So in the end, Tim, the pattern ends when we can learn as a partner to say to our partner, not outwardly, inwardly, you know what? Uh, thanks. I, I didn't know that about myself. I had no idea that I felt yeah. like I couldn't possibly, no one should challenge this estimation of myself, that you should uh, challenge my opinion. Who, who walks around thinking that they are everything that God created and no one should challenge it? 
but in us are those tendencies in a consciousness we're asleep to. Relationships bring up the content so that another kind of light, a new awareness, can begin to help us see it, realize it, and release it. Wonderful. Wonderful. It is, it's, and it's not you that's irritating me. It's our interaction that's showing me that I have an irritable little person inside of me. Yes, <laughs> to quote yes. you from a previous talk. <laughs> yes, that, that, that's exactly right. And look how nice this is. I'll show you. Have, have you ever been able to fix someone, Tim? Not you yet. I'm, I'm still working on it, though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you and I and everyone listening to us knows that even if we can get someone to, to jump through a hoop, that it isn't two or three times before they jump through the hoop, before they turn and snarl, and the resentment born of believing that they had to make us content turns out to be a contempt that they feel for us because of their own weakness in jumping through the hoop. So we can't fix other people. And yet, I'm hoping everybody's following, you and I know that we've had moments where there were limitations in us that someone may have even called out that we resisted. But where at last, because by the grace of the divine, by the grace of an act of love, the conditions required to reveal that level of unconsciousness keep coming back and coming back and coming back until one day you sit there and you go, holy cow, I never, I never understood it. The, the, I, I never understood. I, I resented you because you didn't approve of me. Instead of seeing the problem lay with the idea that I had to be approved by you to be worthy. It's a lie. But I didn't see it as a lie. And so the blame went forward in a pattern where I either pushed or pulled and tried to get you to be someone who would see me as I want to be seen. Why? To confirm an image I have of myself that no matter how many people confirm it can never be made real. So in that moment, the healing takes place because the limitation has been revealed as an aspect of a level of consciousness I didn't know I was identified with. And in that revelation is the invitation for me to see the truth that sets me free. And it does. And funny enough, when I begin to see the problem in my relationship isn't the limitation I blame on you, but rather something I've yet to realize in myself, then I stop pushing to change you. And you get a chance to see where the limitation is. I call it the jujitsu of love. Because when I stop trying to throw you and just get out of the way, then you have no one to fight with. Because you can't blame me for your pain when I stop arguing. Then you get to see what's living in you that's the limitation in our relationship. And when you have any two people realizing that the task of love and of that relationship is for each person through that relationship 
to become realized through it, to see where a limitation is keeping the perfection of love from manifesting. And the more we get out of the way, the more we realize there's an innate love that brought us together for the purpose of perfecting our relationship with it through our relationships. Yeah, that's one of the things I love about your book is that you're talking about some of the practicality and you're also talking about, as as you refer to it, love, the higher kind of love that matters yes. most. Yes. And how it, it is not and cannot be determined by what others do or don't do toward us. And you yes. say, this should be evident after all. After all, what kind of love is it that gives itself only to those who give give it back when and as expected. Besides, if there's one thing we should all know by now, it's this. It's never been in our power to make others love us as we would have them do. Yes. And so it, 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 I, I really enjoy how you keep calling us to the idea that we don't have to do all of this work. We, the work will be done for us by that higher kind of love when we just yes. do our piece you know, yes. to, you, 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 you talk at times about in the book about creating the space where when I'm called to the negative reaction, I recognize it and I hold back in that, you know, jujitsu of love you're just talking about. And I leave a space where my partner can see their pain rather than me keeping trying to show them how they're creating my pain, uh, yes. which, of course, blinds them, etc. One of the things I want to ask is because you've got this wonderful multi-layers that you're talking about in the book. Most of us come into these books like this and spiritual teachings with all kinds of old baggage. And one of the questions that, that suggested here in your literature is, how do we let go of any old bitterness that's built up between us and our partner, our family, our friend? I'd love to have you address that for some of us because I know people are saying yeah there's just too much baggage I, I I can't fix this there's we have to have new knowledge Tim before we can have a new mind Christ spoke of metanoia this idea that we need new ears to be able to hear eyes to see because in this instance and you've said it so well, and it's a delight to hear that you're mining that out of the book. In, in Scripture, East and West, but mostly Western, actually I think there's six or seven different kinds of love that are pointed out, but the, the, the most uh, obvious uh, are this, this kind of eros love, this very physical and aphilic love, uh, uh, which is like a brotherly love. Most of our relationships are based in that. And then there's the love that Christ and Buddha and every great prophet and saint on this planet talks about, irregardless of the branding of that through religiosity. And that is agape. That is this understanding that all of us, to some degree, know exists. And we know it exists through what I call divine dissatisfaction. If everything and anything in this world was the answer to making me feel whole, happy, and complete in a continual, constant basis. 
then by now I would know it. I would have it or I've had it and it didn't do it. That even means with my wife, whom I love dearly, my parents, God bless their souls. Those people in my life that I love. I understand that the people in my life that I love are placeholders, manifestations of love that exist for the sole purpose, as I do for they, of helping me remember that there is another kind of love that I am called to know, to be, and to live in and from that doesn't fight, that doesn't hate, that isn't afraid, that never separates, and that all of the relationships are moments in which if we see it, by the very fact of seeing our impatience, our negative attitudes, that by the imperfection that is revealed to us in ourselves, about ourselves in that moment, it couldn't be revealed unless there was a perfect light there showing it to us. How else would I know I missed the mark if there wasn't something making it evident to me, not judging me, as we love to do to ourselves, because that seems to prove that we know what love is. No one who judges himself or herself knows the love I'm speaking of. Love doesn't judge. He maketh the sun to shine on good and evil alike, so said Christ, about this divine love. So, yes, it's a stretch, and people are sometimes very bothered when they hear me speak of these things or write, because in our hearts, we all know we're missing the mark. We're so caught up with trying to find ourselves, prove ourselves, make of ourselves something, get others to validate what can never be validated, that our lives are just running around and running out of steam, running out of the daily bread, because we're, we, we, we've, we've not had the, the new knowledge, the true understanding that's everywhere around us that is trying to say to us, Guy, Look, man, and now I'm sorry for the long answer. Why am I bitter? Why did that person come up in my mind again? My parents who abused me, that woman who betrayed me when I was 27, who I gave everything to and, and turned on me like that. And here's the answer to the question that summarizes everything I'm saying. And everybody, you might want to write it down because it's one of the most important things that I teach, at least in my language. As goes my attention, so comes my experience. As goes my attention, so comes my experience. It's a multi-layered principle. But we've covered it in the beginning. When I give my attention to Tata, the new little fawn, I feel all the little fawn qualities. I feel a tenderness, a gentleness, because my attention links to the consciousness of that creature. And in some respect, by the way, the consciousness of that creature links to my own. That's the, that's the hope for animals on this planet, of being raised gradually, if humanity could only begin to understand that responsibility. But I feel Tata. I feel that little timid beautiful creature. Now, my attention links me to that consciousness. Why, Tim, when my mind brings up that person who hurt me, 
Why do I give my attention to that pain? Would I deliberately attend to something for which giving my attention to it gives me the experience of the recreation of that conflict? I would never do it consciously, which means that my attention is being used by a level of consciousness for the continuity of itself and not for the continuity of what it says it's doing because when it thinks about people that hurt it and that want that it wants to protect itself from or do something so it can escape them it's not escaping the people or the condition it's giving its attention to the condition that's creating its experience and so it's actually reliving unconsciously the very thing it says it doesn't want and that's why bitterness and hatred and anger doesn't go away because we've yet to awaken to realize there is a part of our consciousness that loves to reincarnate those things which is why we don't learn from the past which is why history repeats itself because there's an unconscious nature believing it knows the purpose of the moment when instead that consciousness is perpetuating the very moment it says it doesn't want. Sorry for all of that, but I had to get the whole thing out. Well, no apologies necessary. I'm just sitting here thinking, boy, am I glad this is recorded so I can go back and listen and take more notes. I lo- I have uh, so many things going on in my head. I, I-, I love the idea you talk about how it, these different things are in scale. And um, when you said my attention, when it goes to an old bitterness is being used by a level of my consciousness, not yes. my true self, but by a level of my consciousness simply to ensure its continuity. Yes. Cause why else, why else would I keep going back to the pain? I say, I hate the pain, but exactly. my, my mind keeps going back to it. And so it's not my volitional mind, clearly, because what I would choose in this moment is to focus on Tata or some other loving interaction. No, 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 no. Listen to me. What I would choose to do is be aware of the fact that something in me, by resisting my past, is recreating it. Resistance is a secret form of attraction. Resistance is a secret form of being bound to the thing I'm resisting so that I don't need to think of Tata when I'm unhappy. That's resistance. What I need to do is agree to be aware of that level of consciousness that wants to recreate itself. Why? Because a level of awareness that can see that consciousness is already above and beyond that consciousness. It is showing me something concealed that in its revelation is released because no one would consciously hurt himself or herself under any circumstances. Right. So what you're saying is if I try to get out of my negative state by focusing on a positive thing, it's just the same part of my mind trying to yes. escape something. Yes, absolutely. And the, only, and the only liberty comes from realizing that what drew my attention to something that generates pain is 
a level of consciousness. Yes. It's just trying because to keep then, rolling. Yes, yes. Because if I'm aware of it, suddenly, for the first time, the weed has been thrust from the chaff. I have come out from amongst them. A new level of self, a new identity, if you want the, 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 uh, the beginning of conscience, the first advent of, of Christ consciousness appears. That light, that awareness knows these things are not only who, are not who I am, but that they exist for the purpose of this revelation. Did you ever think about that passage, which makes no sense to most people? Very, very uh, important in our relationships with others. To love thine enemy? What in God's name does that mean? How can I love my enemy? Ah! The moment in which the revelation brings up this anger, this resentment, this fear in me, is the same as the moment I'm invited, if I'll be present to it, to see that level of consciousness. So he prepares a, a feast in the presence of my enemies. My enemies have no authority unless I don't want to have an enemy. <laughs> Can you follow that? Yes, I think I do. I, I, I'm put to mind of... Um... Dale Ellen Hoffman, who talks about the ancient Aramaic and says one of the definitions for enemy from the ancient Aramaic is anyone or anything in the presence of whom I hold my breath. So yeah. when I resist an event, that's the creation of this tension. And the revelation that's in that moment that I'm rejecting that you're talking about, that's the gift. That's the banquet. Yes. And, and I, I don't, I don't want to put words in the mouth of this fellow, but I love that, that, that the Aramaic, because what is that really saying? When I hold my breath, what is the Ruach Adonai, the breath of the spirit? So here I am. And in the presence of this thing, I hold my breath. I'm cut off from spirit. And not only am I cut off from spirit, but to the point of everything we're saying, in that moment, because I'm caught up in this loop of a nature that summarily resists anything that challenges the image it has of itself, then that same nature says, here, guy, I will be your guide. Here's what to do. Protect yourself. Defend yourself. Go make a billion dollars. Do this, do that, and you will be free. That's exactly the same thing as a false god. That is a false guide appearing as light, but that's actually born of the darkness that I don't know I'm in, which is why I don't know that guide to be false and dark. I hope I'm not getting too carried away here, Tim, too deep. Well, it, it, it reminds me of how you say so clearly in so many other talks that when I listen to fear – Fear is only going to tell me what to do so that fear can run my life another day, another week, another That's month. It. That's it. And That's it also it. puts me in mind of, you know, you must have been doing some Krishnamurti reading over the years because Krishnamurti has so many people say, okay, so now I see this, now what? And he says, well, if you see it clearly to its source, it loses its power over you. You don't have to decide what to do next. If you see actuality in the moment, it acts on you. And you act from that. There's a flow. You don't have to ask and think about what to do. You just do. That's it. That, that is uh, 
that is whatever that yes that's right <laughs> look um if you pick up a hot skillet do you need instructions to put it down well, and to save your voice for a minute, I really like what you said in one of your talks about how I don't have to keep reminding myself consciously day in and day out after I've burned myself on the skillet, stay away from the hot skillet, stay because it's there. Right. I don't have to keep thinking about it. Exactly. And it's the same thing, Tim, when it comes to relationships. I say when I'm negative with my partner, that they produced this pain in me. They did not produce this pain in me. They revealed there is a pain in me that I have yet to be able to understand and heal. And when I understand those moments, then instead of turning and, you, and letting my pain push back, I'm present to this unhealed, part that has been concealed and the work is done by the revelation the light of that awareness because who would live consciously carrying around something that creates conflict for them when i do that properly then i begin to enter into a different kind of relationship where you know what have you ever been upset with your partner where you were blaming your partner for your pain, but you could see, at least in retrospect? Before I get upset with anybody, I'm in pain. Before I get upset with anybody, there is a pain in me. I don't understand that that pain in me was there before I found someone to blame for it. My partner has the same circumstance. And you get to a place where both people are in pain and neither one knows their partner is suffering because all that nature is concerned with is its suffering and what has to be done to get rid of it. Well, when you understand the pain belongs to a level of consciousness that is only interested in keeping it alive through this seemingly divided relationship where people are different, we're not different. We all want the same thing. We want to be whole, happy, loving human beings, but that don't understand that isn't something we create. It's something we're being given and shown moment to moment through our relationships. Yeah, you're right back to the idea of the mirror that was in the quote I was reading from the beginning. Yeah, and yeah. On, on, on page 100, you say it so simply. No one, no event is the sole cause of what we see as disturbing us any more than a mirror is responsible for showing us something in it that we would rather not see. Exactly. You know, you walk into a room, there's five people there, and you, you can feel the negativity. They're, they've been fighting. They, don't even, they could be dead silent. You would know they've been fighting. Why? Because suddenly you can feel the negativity in you. But if you don't know that the negativity is just a kind of mirror effect, a, resonate, <clears throat> a resonation of certain vibration, then that nature will say, boy, the, 
boy, are these people negative. <laughs> and suddenly you're negative. Instead, you could walk in and feel the negativity and realize I need to be very awake now because I know something in me can feel what's going on. And I need to be the witness of it, not its unconscious instrument. Challenge. There's a challenge. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and part so of me was... See, Tim, you hinted at it. It's not up to me to fix. Right. Right. It's up to me to see the insanity. You know, That's I, it. I mean, we, we, we have this culture where uh, we, we're programmed to think you made me angry, you hurt my feelings, etc. And yet we're not aware of how well we've been programmed. Now, exactly. at one and the same moment that I could see how ridiculous it is for somebody to get mad and smash a mirror because they don't like what it's reflecting to them. I think nothing yes. of blaming my partner for the anger I feel. And yet, yes. as you just laid out, it's the same thing. Yes. So I can't, I can't see my own insanity unless I slow down and, and begin this process of creating that space, as you talk about in the book, to, to resist the moment where some part of me tells me to do a reaction or a negativity or a blaming and to just so, so what's one of the best ways to start with that? How do I, how do I in, from your experience, how do I begin to build that strength of the part of me that can take a breath and hold, hold back that negative reaction? Any, any tricks you have, any tips for us in that regard? Absolutely. But let's be clear. We're not holding back the relationship. We're just not expressing it. That's different. We're not denying it. And we're not expressing it. We're witnessing it. An example, a couple, a partnership of some kind. And one of the partners has had a tough day, come home, and the other partner sees the partner who's had a bad day come in. And because they know the look on that person's face, they immediately <clears throat> say something like, do you have a tough day? to which the partner then begins to say all the things that went wrong with the day. Now, the more the one partner starts to unload, the more the other partner starts to wish they never asked because now they're getting negative too. So here comes the stop and endure exercise. Stop, drop, and endure. We've been studying these ideas, let's say the, one of the partners. And they realize they can feel the momentum of this negativity starting to ramp up. And they want to retort. They want to say something. You're always negative. When are you going to have a good day? Blah, blah, blah. Some passive-aggressive statement. But we know that when pain answers pain, the response will be more pain. So we're going to become, you ready for a beautiful word? Do you know the original meaning of the word patience, Tim? Uh, something to uh, suffer myself. Yes, to suffer myself. And 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 can you help us? Because when I've heard this in your talks before and tried to share it with people, they their interpretation is I'm telling them they need to just suffer and accept suffering. And the the archaic meaning of that has more to do with uh, what you just said: um, enduring myself, allowing. Yes. Um, Yes, it is a way of 
understanding that I have to date been someone who in this circumstance always shoot first and ask questions later. I'm going to deliberately, as best I'm able to do, in part because I understand that nothing that's a part of a pattern can bring the pattern to an end. Nothing that is a part of a pattern can bring the pattern to an end. But if there is something in me that knows that as true, that's already outside of the pattern. Now I must instrument, I must act the knowledge of not being part of the continuation of the pattern. But that doesn't mean that that pattern and that nature isn't in me. So I am going to be patient. I am going to stop in the midst of its appearance and drop all the habitual vocalization, mentation, emotional response, and become the witness of it so that I'm going to endure the manifestation of my own lower consciousness. I'm literally going to agree to die to it and for it. This is a crucifixion. I'm not going to identify with it. I'm going to let it come up, and I'm going to watch it die. And it will, because that unconsciousness, that level of sleep, is mechanical. It only exists as long as we are resist a circumstance. And the minute that we agree to be the observer of this resistance instead of its instrument, it only has so far to go. So I stop, I drop all the thought, the feeling, being the witness of it, and I endure that nature until I see it fade from sight. And if I will do that, I will see the authority that nature has had over me. I will understand the great myths like Rumpelstiltskin and why when she finally knew the name of the creature, she gained authority over it. The old meaning of gaining the name, meaning you knew the phonetics, you knew the energy source, so that she was above the, the little evil thing instead of participating at its level of trying to make peace with it. This is what we have to work at, Tim, and it all can be done. We're created to succeed at understanding this relationship. Wonderful. It, it reminds me of a beautiful story you have of a man who was raised, and and he woke up and realized, you know, I, I'm kind of a slave here, but the master was, you know, not so bad. And But over time, he decided to research freedom. Eventually, he realized that you can learn all that you want about freedom and that you'd never get free. And then finally, you know, the punchline of, of the story was he went to the master and said, I, I'm not going to do this anymore. And the master said, you have to. And he finally said, you know, the master said, I'm the law. And, and, and the hero in your story finally said, I am the new law. Yes. And, and he becomes he, the new law by, by understanding the only authority the master has over him is his mistaken belief in the authority of the master. Exactly. When we become and the new law, we are made new. That's what you're alluding and, to. Right, and what you talk about in all of these stories is you're not talking about an external master. All of these stories are the internal, that yes. I have been a slave to a part of myself 
a level of consciousness within me that's going to continue its part in the pattern just so that it continues. But yes. that nothing in that pattern, no part of a pattern can bring an end to it. So I have to become aware of a, as you talk about so well in the book, a higher level of love, this higher order in scale of force which can awaken me to potentials within me that I've been asleep to. Yes. And the beauty of it is it's already there, Tim. It is the very basis of our being. It's just that we have, to use words, kind of fallen into this uh, level of consciousness where uh, a false light, an imagined light, has replaced the real one. Every time we save ourselves, fix ourselves by trying to become what someone else or what we think the world tells us we have to become, without knowing it, we are following a false guide. And that false guide lives to create false relationships so that in the pain that ensues, it can strengthen its authority. We can change that by understanding what it means to want to see the truth of the moment more than we want to prove that we already know it by getting negative. Wonderful. Wonderful. I just looked at the clock and realized we've you've been very generous and given us a full hour of your time, and we want to be uh, conscious of your uh, energy expenditure because you're promoting this in many places. Um, as we wrap up, um, a couple of things. One is last comments or statements you'd like to make and perhaps tell us a little bit about your Life of Learning Foundation and what might be coming up there. Do you have to turn the pines soon? What's happening? <clears throat> yes, thank you, Tim. Um, first, listen, if anybody's interested, uh, my foundation, Life of Learning Foundation, has created a, a very special offer. And if you go to relationshipmagicbook.com, one word, Relationship Magic, and order the book through that site, not only will you get the best price, but you will get an audio book, that, the audio version of the book that I read. You'll also get a free three-hour webinar based on relationship magic and a 60-minute MP3 download. So you get three really great gifts when you go to relationshipmagicbook.com. Now, if you don't want to order, for whatever reason, through that link, you want to go someplace else, come back to that link and merely provide <clears throat> excuse me, the order information, uh, the order number or whatever it is, and we'll still give you the gifts. So relationshipmagicbook.com. <laughs> is that right, Tim? Is that yes. Okay. You got it right. Relationshipmagicbook.com. Now, as Tim said, I live and teach in southern Oregon. Uh, we're just about 60 miles north of the California border, and my foundation sits on 15 acres of old-growth sugar pine. It is a beautiful place, and uh, a couple times a year we hold gatherings. The next one is coming up, the solstice, summer solstice. We call it the Talks in the Pines. And if you go to uh, guyfinley.org, www.guyfinley.org, G-U-I-F-I-N-L-E-Y, you can uh, snoop around the site and learn about this upcoming event where men and women from all over the world come in and we have a very intensive workshop and we're going to have a very, very good 
uh, topic and uh, work-related material for this coming Talks in the Pines. It's called Deepen Your Relationship with the Divine. So if you're interested, do that. And if not, I speak three times, four times a week here at the Foundation uh, over the weekend. Check the schedule, $3 donation at the door. No one's ever turned away, nothing to join. And lastly, if I may, uh, I have a wisdom school, an online wisdom school. You can learn about it right through the foundation, where men and women, again, from all over the world, as Tim has been alluding to, listen to, watch a video live-streamed, and once a week it's discussed online in a forum. And once a month I host that forum. But the rest of the time it's hosted by longtime students, and it's invaluable. So uh, that and... You know, the usual social networks. Instagram, I post once or twice a week, uh, once or twice a day. Facebook, so forth and so on. But I, I better not say any more than that. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's lovely, and we've been uh, promoting the Talks in the Pines, the Wisdom School. I've been subscribing to it for years now, and I catch, you know, most weeks I catch one of the talks, excuse me, I catch one of the talks and I share it with a support group if it's the night when I'm doing a support group. So I'm speechless. Thank you so much for your generous time and for writing this book and doing all of the work you've done over the years. It's a blessing to me in my life. And I look forward to uh, sometime after the Talks in the Pines to having you back on Dr. Michael Rice and uh, Jeannie and I can uh, have a, a an ongoing conversation about things. And um, I like I, it. I, I like it. I I'm just grateful beyond words. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome, Tim. You were very kind. I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, we will pencil it in sometime in the late summer or early fall. We'll have a great conversation, the four of us. Excellent. Thank you so much, Guy. All right. You'll be well, Tim. All right. You too. too. Take care. That was a pre-recorded interview. There we are. We've run a little (laughs) bit over, um, but we are into our second hour of Mind Shifters Radio. I'm I'm having to catch my breath and remember what planet I'm on. So Mind Shifters Radio. Dr. Michael Rice, his microphone has just been turned on. Jeannie Rice is on. Welcome. Awesome conversation. Right. Awesome conversation. I particularly oh. like that thought that uh, that guy gave us, that uh, pain meets pain and can't resolve itself, can't, can't free itself. That's, uh, that's a really powerful uh, piece of information to hold in mind, and uh, that uh, pain just creates more of itself. Of course, when the active presence of love meets itself, same thing happens, multiplies. And you know, becoming the thinker apart from the thought, the feeler apart from the feelings, the actor apart from the actions allows us to bring that conscious, active, present love forward that dissolves all. So it's, it's awesome to, uh, to see how many places on the planet are, uh, are bringing forward these, this information and uh, there'd been a little more space for Guy and I did hear the strain in his voice 
but uh, it, uh, I would love to hear more of his stories because he's such an awesome storyteller. So for anybody who wants to catch that, uh, the talks in the pines, you're, you're in for a real treat with his stories. Well, and the other Very thing cool. to do is if you go to his website at guyfinley.org, he has uh, a myriad number of CD packages, and he's got other books he's written. Um, some of the uh, CD packages are just loaded with wonderful stories to illustrate the points that he makes. And um, so it's highly recommended by me because they have been a part of what's infused my learning and helped me see the, the teachings that I get from Dr. Michael Rice and the Kabor's Manuscript and A Course in Miracles and A Way of Mastery to see those things from a slightly different perspective and to, um, to listen to Guy with his extended sentences that, you know, that could be carved up into five or six separate sentences <laughs> really, r- really, really puts me into a kind of a mindset like a koan where I just start to, to – I can't follow it, and yet I'm getting info. I'm getting a download. There's a shift that happens. So that's available in on his online school. It's also available in his uh, CD packages, and it's highly recommended. So Yay. I think what we should do is let me uh, break here and let you announce the second half of your show. And, Michael, if you want, you can call in as host, and I'll join you in about five or ten minutes when I get a drink and stretch here. Sweet. Okay. I'll call it back in. All right. I'll talk while they're shifting uh, hosts here. This is Jeannie. Welcome to the show. That was a phenomenal uh, first hour of the show. And I had actually sent Tim a text. And- this is Mind Shifters Radio. I'm your I'm not sure if we've got the recording to stop <laughs> or not. Michael, are you there? Hello? I'm here, sweetie. I, I think we got it to stop. <laughs> I, I think, think it, it completed. Too. It was really uh, – well, I actually, what I did was I clicked the button as if I were going to play it and then clicked it again to turn it off. It's real strange because it was only supposed to be 58 minutes long, and, and it went like – an hour and eight minutes or something. I don't know. Anyway. So Dr. Tim I think had I got to do a pre-recorded up. show. I think we've got it completed now. So why don't you go ahead and open up, sweetie? Yeah. So we are on the second hour. Of, well, a little less than second hour now, 48 minutes of uh, my sister's radio. Your phone's, doing, your phone's doing that flutter thing, Jeannie. Okay. I'll hang up and call back in. You introduce it. Okay. Okay. So welcome once again to the uh, last three quarters of an hour of, of Mind Shifters Radio for today. Dr. Tim had to play a recorded show, pre-recorded show, so that was one he did back, I'm not even sure what the date was, a couple of years ago. Guy Finley does some awesome stuff, great storyteller. In any event, we welcome you to, to the second half of the show today, and, uh, and we've missed you the last couple of days, and that's been of necessity. Uh, Saturday morning, we did our monthly Mind Shifters and Still Point Breathing session. It was really powerful. And uh, while I facilitated Jeannie laid down to breathe, 
uh, as part of the, the workshop, of course, we've been through a lot with her dad having been ill about a week earlier. He had aspirated some food into his lungs, which created, which created a lung infection. And they tried to treat it at the residential facility he was at and weren't having much success. So we went over to uh, to just see what was going on and had called emergency services. And he just wasn't getting the care he needed. So we ended up um, transferring to the hospital. And he was there. They expected he was going to just be there for a day or two and uh, and then take him into a rehab facility where he'd get some breathing therapy and, and therapy on his hands and such. But the uh, the load on his lungs from this aspiration, aspirating food and liquid was too much. They decided he had some throat challenges, so they actually kept him in the hospital for a couple more days. But on Saturday... When we did Soul Point Breathing, Jeannie went into a really deep, sweet space with him where she was able to have a conversation. And my take is her conversation was soul to soul with her dad. And, you know, his body was pretty frail. He'd been through quite a bit. Another round of antibiotics and, you know, several days laying in a hospital bed without being, really without being moved. The whole thing of him not walking happened back a year December when uh, he got COVID and they laid him in the same hospital for 11 days without getting him out of bed as far as we can tell and he hadn't walked since. So in any event, in the Still Point Breathing session last Saturday, Jeannie just had this really deep conversation with him and said, Dad, you know, if it's time to let go, then it's time to let go. You've, you've suffered enough, you've been through enough and it had been a challenge for Jeannie to think about her dad passing. There was a lot of trauma and pain in it for her. And uh, in the week before, she just did some really deep processing work. And so on Saturday, was able to have that conversation with him and say, and Dad, if it's time to go, then let go. And Jeannie, maybe you want to pick it up from there and share what happened from there? Yeah, so... Um it was just really powerful. And then um, uh, after the Still Point class was over and everything, then we went to visit Dad. And is it clear now or is it still fluttering, Michael? You're clear. No, you're good. Okay. And um, so we went to visit him, and, and he, Michael fed him some applesauce, and I gave him some milk, and you know, he wasn't talkative, and they said he hadn't been talkative all day. He'd kind of been in his own zone. And I gave him a sip of water, and he got choked on it. And so we called the nurses in, and they were, you know, attempting to help him. And he sat up. His eyes got super big. He looked up in the upper left corner of the room, and then he just laid down and went. And they were going to come in with a crash cart and bring him back. And I said, no, I believe him. I said, he's already in glory. And... Uh, so I called my brothers and let them know, and they both came in yesterday morning, and uh, we went to the funeral home to make all the arrangements and everything, and then one of my brothers needed to go back. He has certain things he has to, to criteria he has to meet to keep his pilot's license, and he had to go back last night, and so the funeral home just was miraculous. They got Dad ready, dressed, and, and in the coffin that we picked out and gave us a room, and so, you know, the just the immediate family that lives here, and we were able to spend time with Dad. And 
Aria was a jewel. She just kept all of us entertained and and. Uh, yeah, Aria, Aria really became the uh, the social director, didn't she? Yeah, she did, and uh, she kept us all in a, in a good space and. And then we all went out to eat afterwards, and my youngest brother went back home, and then we met my other brother this morning for breakfast, and, and uh, then he headed back home. And We're going to wait. There were so many things already planned and scheduled and people out of town, and um, so on April the 5th, we're going to have a service at the family graveyard and, and just celebrate his life there. And they've actually, my brothers um, asked Michael if he would do the service, so that's an honor. Yeah, it's sweet. And just an interesting little aside was that, you know, Jean's talked a couple times about she's been doing, working to take some weight off, and uh, she'd been a plateau for several months, and concurrent with letting go of the trauma around the thought of dad leaving, what is it, Jeannie, in the last three or four days you've taken off three pounds? It just dropped off. Yeah. And <laughs> so I mean, letting go. Yeah, we haven't a tremendous amount, but we've eaten. And it's just, you know, since Saturday night uh, to this morning. It's like a pound and a half a day. So letting go of the burden, I guess. I think, well, I think everybody who listens to the show regularly knows that each time your dad's come up, your voice chokes up and tears come, and to even talk about him passing has been a big trauma for you, and I just acknowledge you for the the letting go of that trauma that you could just share what you just shared with a clear voice and a space of love in your heart and uh, and just support for dad that it was time for him to move on. It was really very profound. Um, I Actually, I had some pictures that I'd taken of Aria the day before we were in the car, and and she decided to put my hat on, and uh, and she made up a, a thing where she wanted to mimic Papa, mimic me, and so she put one finger over her just below her nose, like a, and it was a mustache, and then three fingers on her chin, and that was my beard, <laughs> and it just was such a cute picture. I took, and then I took five or six pictures, and so I had just shown them to Dad. He was just looking at them, and he wasn't communicating much. He did finally say hello to us after four or five requests, but the nurses had said that he was just kind of out of it. I think he was actually starting to leave at that point. And she said, I fed him some, some uh, applesauce and she gave him some water and a little bit of milk. And, uh, and all of a sudden he just looked up in kind of a strange direction, sort of up and to the left. And you know how in cartoons you see a cartoon character and his eyes just pop out of its head? Well, that's what his eyes did. I mean, they literally just were like, and he took a last breath and let go. It's just a sweet space, and the nurses, when they, you know, he he was so fragile. It just didn't make sense. What kind of damage would they do trying to get his heart started and all again? It just didn't make sense to put him through that if they had brought him back and what damage they would have done and how much more suffering. So we just said, please stop. It's well, well, He wanted to leave. It's time. And just let him go. And Jeannie very gently gave that directive to them, and they received it and said thank you and very supportive and and uh, just left the room and said, you know, be here as long as you want. And Jeannie's son came and uh, stepson, and we just hung out with him. And they were both 
young men that, you know, dad had the farm and was always a hunter. I mean, from childhood, the way his family survived was the meat that they were able to, you know, hunt down. And so he had taught each of them how to skin a deer and how to prep it. And and so there was a a lot of conversation and appreciation from the two boys for the time they had with their grandfather. You know, they're, what, uh, 35 and 42 or so, 43 so they had their grandfather for all those years, which is really pretty awesome. And uh, they were always on the farm with him every fall hunting. And so there was just a lot of conversation about appreciation as we just kind of sat in space. Gene and I took about a half an hour before we called anybody and just sat with him and sat with the energy of, of his letting go and the sweetness of the space. And, uh, and it was it was really um, sweet. I mean, the uh, local funeral home here was just fabulous. The way that they got him ready so fast, and, and they Dad had these growths on his face, and they took those off, and so his face was smooth and looked young and relaxed, and and his hands straightened out. You know, they've been curled in with the Parkinson's for a year or more, and um, they were totally straight. So it was amazing. He looked good and um, looked at peace, and it was, it was awesome. And so all of the immediate family, since we were, we were traveling, and actually some of the other family had journeys tra- planned for this pa- this weekend coming up. And so just together we all decided let's put it off, and so we'll be doing a, uh, a memorial. There's a grave site or graveyard on the family farm, and so we'll do a memorial there and on uh, April 5th, and so the funeral home is just going to hold his body till then. And So it was, all in all, it was just uh, the last couple of days have been just miraculous. Sweet, miraculous. Yes, would we like him to be here? Absolutely. But in the state of health he was in, it was a burden for him. So, Jeannie, it's just awesome to that you've let go of the, the trauma, that you could just let him loose, honor him, support him, and being there for him the, those last minutes and being in the room was just awesome. Watching him as his eyes popped and looked was just... You knew he was watching and looking at something. It would have been nice had he been able to communicate what that was, but it wasn't long enough once he saw that. He just let his last breath go. And and, uh, I know that several people have been holding the space and listening to the show for him and for us, and we appreciate that. And uh, he's now at rest. It's kind of interesting that um, this is the second time in about three weeks that I've been in the room with someone as they passed and the serenity of that space, being able to bring love present to that space. I think the the nurses were more in an agitated and upset state and it was a matter of holding a space for them, and they were really sweet and kind. I mean, they just hugged Jeannie and held her, and it was um, just 
a sweet and powerful experience. So we promised that we would share that, and we have 35 minutes. If you have any questions or anything that you want to say, whether it's about that or your own process, and I think we had a young man who was going to call in today too with his process. And so, um, if you are on the switchboard, press one, and that'll put you up without waiting, and we will take your questions and your comments. Yeah, actually, for me right now, the space, I mean, I could just go and do a still point session. <laughs> just feel really in a sweet <laughs> space. And I could just breathe. Got my hand in the Avacyn. <sighs> so thank you for being with us and joining us for this conversation that has been going on now for just a little better than 12 years. Okay. And, of course, the conversation is about first-century Aramaic forgiveness and uh, the benefits that it and the corollary tools that we've developed around that forgiveness process can provide in terms of moving through and removing these pained, traumatic realities that we project into so many experiences and realizing that the truth of who we are holds no trauma whatsoever. It only holds that sweet, active presence of love and everything other than that is what we've acquired, acquired from our childhoods, acquired from our environment, acquired through our genes from from unresolved family traumas. And uh, so we're delighted that you're here to join us and to acquire these tools for really literally facing, embracing, and removing every form of trauma that the world has passed on to us or that we've acquired through implication and interaction with the world or perhaps, you know, as we've spoken about in many cases, it's it's direct power person messages that, uh, you know, usually start out with the kind of thought that there's something wrong with you, you're broken. Each of us starts out exactly the same in that sweet space of active present love. And then the world begins to impinge upon that state of love with messages that if we get lost in them can make it seem like life is a very traumatic experience and so it can become so and once you acquire the tools and put them to work those same kinds of experiences that most people call traumatic still happen but if we don't bring trauma to them they're not traumatic it's not the happenings that are traumatic it's what we hold unresolved within us that brings the trauma to life and so let's say hello to our caller Jean. awesome this is i believe david 206 you're on the air who do we have is this david yes can you hear me hey welcome you're loud and clear oh good good so how are um, you today would you like me um, I'm good. I'm just relaxing. I actually have a couple of days off from work, so um, nice. it feels good just to rest and do nothing. That's a good thing. So that, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I got some, uh, I think some pictures to hang up on the wall, and 
kind of just take my time. I don't really, I'm not rushed. Sweet. So, um, yeah, I wrote to you a question, and this question has been, um, or this issue has been kind of a dilemma throughout my whole life in the interactions with people, and a lot of it is is with somebody in authority or somebody has, or I perceive they have more power than me, that I'm like kind of dependent upon like what their decisions are, so... Um, I know because I'm doing codependence to interdependence, and so this issue is becoming clearer and clearer, and I'm noticing that when you talk about a thought cluster, I do have a thought, like several thoughts just bound together, like anger and guilt and fear and weakness and all of this, and it just causes this like stalling confusion inside of me and I feel like I'm kind of like a car that's backfiring mentally. Right. If that's a, a mm-hmm. comparison. So Got it. I'm yeah, trying to unravel it. So I'll just read what I wrote you guys, you and Jeannie. Go for and, it. And um okay. So this is okay, so I say hi, I'm doing codependence, the interdependence and currently at a repeated impasse that I fr- Frequented, but now with more clarity of the history and dynamics that are involved. As a very young child, I took on the blame that was not mine in the family to keep the peace and attack away from me, and naively thought this would make my family members happy and get along better. My parents fought a lot, and my older brother was pretty cruel, so as I grew up, I would do the same, feel sorry for others, put myself last, and be calm and supportive, and eventually not get reciprocated. I'd get marked at school and work and with other people and interactions of being the nice guy that is not a squeaky wheel, never-ending listener, the guy that's put on a pedestal as a symptom manager in a romantic relationship only to get uh, demonized if I miss a goal. But I do realize this is my inner self trying to get healed, and this is an old issue where I lost my true self by my power person. Now, again, I'm in the work dynamic with scheduling and the complainers get the top picks, and I get whatever's left. I did talk to my boss, and she listened to all of her, or she listened, and to all, and to all of her, I listened to all of her problems and her handling, and then was told how calm I was. I do feel the rage and guilt again, but it is way less. I've tried to deal with this issue in the past for a while with therapists, only to have it happen with them. Any suggestions, guidance, I feel I'm more open to do the work because the inner intensity is much less now. Powerful. Powerful to come to confront uh, that kind of a reality in your mind and have such clarity on it. Nice work. And the sense I get is that the worksheets that you're going to need to do around this issue are going to have to be Worksheets where you are number one C, where you are the object of attention yourself. Yes, it and has been. <laughs> right. And the goal, I suspect, from everything that I hear and the sense I get, the goal that you're going to be working with is going to be just the goal to honor yourself. And it might be things like courageous, you know, cancel the goal to be courageous, cancel the goal to speak up for yourself, 
in canceling the goal to honor yourself. And as you do those worksheets, I suspect what's going to happen is you're going to drop into that um, original place where, in the face of what sounds like your power person, you gave up yourself. You stopped honoring yourself. And maybe yes. it came from messages they gave you, and maybe it just came from what you assumed from the environment at a very early age. But that that sounds like where your next big piece of work is going to be. Does that fit? Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the core or one of the core issues I've been struggling with is um, valuing myself and feeling guilty exactly. about it. I was yeah, raised um, Catholic, and and uh, that's been a big um, teaching in my family and in my life. And even though rationally <laughs> I know it's not real, but there is a part of me that still clings on to that. Right. Well, you remind me of a scene in... Uh what was really a good film, and I'm not thinking of the name of it right now, but it's about a, a young Indian man who crosses the ocean. I forget that. Do you remember the movie I'm talking about, Jeannie? In any event, wherever he ends up, he ends up in a conversation with someone, and uh, he becomes, he, he converts to Catholicism, and at some point, I don't remember who it was he's talking to, but he's talking about, yes, well, I became Catholic, but of course I'm Hindu, so now I have millions of gods to be guilty in front of. <laughs> so pie, right. story of pie or something the like that. Story of pie, right. Yeah, that was Oh, it. yeah, with the tiger <laughs> was, in the such a, Yeah, it was such a great line. Yeah, I got millions of gods to be guilty in front of. And yeah, letting go of that guilt for standing up for self and and valuing self. You know, it's it's like the the idea of sacrifice, unfortunately, in the Catholic Church was in many circles really mistakenly degraded. And where the word actually means to make sacred, it became giving up the truth about self, which is a major mistake. So that sounds like what you're unraveling, and that's that's a powerful piece of work to do. Yeah, and I feel a lot more healthier, clearer. Um, geez, my sleep is so much better. Um, yeah, there's so many benefits. And just facing it and going deep within it and just being as honest as I can or about the situation in the worksheets have really reduced the intensity that it's, it's smoother. It's, I mean, I've done, I don't know how many years of therapy I've done. And just by doing the worksheets, um, phenomenal, phenomenal. I would really love it. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to write those therapists and say, you know, out of being nice and compassionate, you know, this is, would help so many people and not waste. Uh, I, I don't know if it would be waste, but not take such a long time of uh, healing. Right, to move through it. Another another piece that might be really useful is to do a mind shifter around this. If you're open, I've got one for you. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to grab my notebook. You've worked with the mind shifters in doing the, the codependence um, self-study you've been doing. Have you worked with some mind shifters? 
Oh, yeah. I've been so you remember how three, they worked the split yeah. page? Yes, yes, yeah. And uh, kind of just automatic writing on the right side of the page yeah, or whatever comes it. up and mm-hmm. I do worksheets on? Yeah. Yep. Okay, I'm ready. So mind shifter that I think would help open deeper, you know, the deepest levels of this would be it's safe in healing. Okay. And every authority in my life Okay. Appreciates it when right. I proclaim I proclaim the truth of myself as love and my importance. Are you breathing? Oh yeah. This yeah. be a good time. this be a good time to take a breath. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, when you just said that, I did kind of notice that pause. Good. Good. Yeah. And, and so so that sounds like just the right mind shifter because it's getting enough unconscious energy moving that your breath wants to just kind of automatically shut it down. So that will be a perfect mm-hmm. one to breathe through, right, and just let yourself. I, I suspect this is probably, you know, if we were talking in terms of worksheet, this is your core 77 times 70 worksheet issue. And so I'd suggest oh, yeah. you take it. Period of you know three to four hours, phones off. You're in your own space and just write that one in, and then when you complete it, of course, looking on the right hand side, just go down the list and bingo. Where are all the hot spots that I need to, you know, either need to do some communication, use the communication tool, or I need to do more worksheets in that arena, or I bring the commitment forward to myself or someone else that, you know, pick out what the work is, in whatever surfaces from that mind shifter and. You're going to be rocking on a whole new level. Yeah, yeah, I really appreciate it. And I do notice my um, handwriting um, kind of goes from like a two-year-old to an adult and whatever's in between. It's very interesting. And how I feel and the memories and whatever spontaneously comes up, it's very healing. It's a really good uh, tool with all the other tools. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it's profound when you're writing and... Go ahead, Jeannie. It can tell you be an uh, indicator of when that issue started. Like you can say, oh, okay, yeah. when did I write like that? You know, oh, in the first grade. Okay, that's probably when that issue started. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. For sure. It even looks like before I even knew how to write <laughs> on, on some of it. Yeah. Pre-verbal or something. Yeah. Right on track. Yeah, it sounds really like you're really it. making some giant strides. That's awesome. Yes, yes, I, I am. But um, yeah, I would yeah I would like to write down some more questions and uh, call in the show show a little bit more often. That would be awesome. You know, that's a an, an important part of the self study of that codependence intensive is that we're here for support and even the smallest questions. You know, if you'll bring them to the show, can open some of the biggest spaces in the mind in the healing process. So, we're just delighted to have the conversation with you, any and every time, every day, if necessary, if things get really hot. Right, right, and I really, yeah, I'm very grateful for that. Sweet. Well, well any other thoughts much. for you? Honored um, and delighted. Nothing. 
yeah, yeah, nothing right now. I think that's probably enough for right now. Um, okay. And just kind of keep chiseling away and keep moving forward. Nice. Well, it would be awesome if uh, when you write, I'd love to hear some of the results of what comes up with that mind shifter. So if it's appropriate to share, I'd be delighted to hear back from you. Yeah, I will do that for sure. Awesome. All right. Well, Thank lots you, of love and blessings. Appreciate the call. All right. Take okay. care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. For those who might be new to the show, you know, what he was talking about was that uh, he's in the process of doing the codependence to interdependence self-study intensive. So that's the process he's moving through. Go ahead, sweetie. I had started to unmute, and I didn't know if everybody heard Aria says, I love you, Nene. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You're playing with makeup, and she's got red rouge all over her hands and face. When we it's hot pink. when we picked her up at school today, Jeannie was driving, so I went and picked her up, and you have to sign for her. And, and uh, her teacher and she just have this love affair going. Her her teacher just, I mean, she can't say enough about her. And Aria, see you tomorrow, Miss. You know, in any event, um, I had asked if the teacher had ever asked Aria why we were here. And she said, no. I said, well, why are we here? Would you tell her why we're here? And Ari, of course, says, to be love. And like, you could just see the teacher just melted. You know, it was like, oh, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Pretty sweet. Yeah, a really sweet face at her school. Yeah, yeah, they're awesome. So, Ms. Jeannie, do we have anything else happening in the chat room? Do we, is the chat room back to working yet? It's working today. I know. So, oh, <laughs> yes, good. But there's no questions in the chat room, and nobody else has a hand up. If somebody presses one, you are first in line. Well, we've got about 18 minutes left, so there's lots of time for conversation. If you have a thought for us, a question, we have something to share, let's go for it. It's Miss Susan, 610. You're on the air. Hi. Hi. Welcome home. Hey, welcome, dear Thank heart. You. How are you? Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, it's a long answer. I, but your, your dad was three hours from your house. Did I misunderstand something? Oh, I was no. your brother. No. My brother. Um Okay. So, like, one brother so, was in uh, Kingston and one brother's in Southbury, North Carolina. So, um, Michael and I were with Dad when he passed. No, he was just at the hospital about 10 minutes from here. Oh, okay. There was something about three hours, and Dad waited three hours till we got there or something like that, so I got confused. Oh, well, we, I well, had called before we started the Steel Point Breathing class on Saturday. And you know, oh, asked okay. how was he and were they going to transfer him because they've been talking every day about moving him from the yeah. hospital to rehab. And they said, no, mm-hmm. there was no orders for discharge or anything. And I said, okay. I said, I can leave class if I need to. And so we did the still point breathing class. And I breathed, you know, while Michael facilitated the class. And I was actually able to tap in to Dad's, you know, it was like soul to soul. And just, I said, Dad, you can stop the struggle. I said, just let go. I said, you've done enough. You've been through enough. And so after class was over, um, you know, we went to the hospital. 
and they said he had been real quiet all day, that he, you know, wasn't engaging or anything like that. He was just kind of in his own. And um, we went in and fed him a little bit of applesauce and milk, and, and then I gave him a, a sip of water, and he got choked. And so we called the nurses mm-hmm. to come in. And, and um, you know, Michael and I were both there holding his hand and telling him to take a breath. And, and he just, he like, sat up, and his eyes got huge, and he just looked up in the left of the ceiling of the room and I mean it was like I moved my hand in front of his face and everything it was like he was looking beyond anything on this planet yeah. and then he laid yeah. down and was gone I mean it was wow. amazing it's pretty sweet and, pretty awesome uh, you know they uh, the nurses were going to go get the crash cart and I'm like no I said he's already he's already in glory I said leave him there you know I said don't bring oh, him back to you here. He um, That's so hadn't had a, you know, I said he'd been alive, but he hadn't been living. And, um, you know, if they brought him back, the only thing he had looking forward to was going to rehab. And, you know, if he hadn't gotten better there, then he was going to, um, you know, go into long-term care. And, I mean, it's, you know, what did he have to look forward to here, you know? And so I said, you know, don't bring him back to this. Just let him. Let him be. He's already there. I think when he sat up and looked up in the corner, I think he left then, and his body yeah. down. Yeah, that's it. That's so and good. And, of course, you know, I um, cried, and the nurses were so kind. I mean, they just hugged, and, you know, it was, it was really sweet. And Ryan came up, and Brandon came up, and we all just stayed in there for a couple of hours, you know, and, they, they yeah. told us if we needed anything and said stay with him as long as you want. And then yesterday we had a private viewing with the family, and, and uh, then my brothers both have gone back to their prospective homes. and Everybody already had things planned and tickets, airline tickets made and all kinds of things and doctor's appointments. And so we just all decided to wait until April the 5th when everything was over for everyone. And oh, yeah service down on the farm at the family graveyard mm-hmm. and they've asked Michael to officiate. So nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's really nice. That's an amazing story. It was a blessing. I've it was heard a blessing. Of... We're so thankful that he waited for us to get yeah. there. I mean we we're only there for about maybe a max of thirty minutes. So yeah. it was just like you know, they had said, as Jeannie said, that, you know, he's kind of non-communicative, which is, has been unusual for him recently. And I think he had already started the process of exiting, and he just waited for us to to do the final letting go. That is so interesting and so wonderful. I've seen I've seen people wait for their families to come when we worked at hospice, and I've also seen people wait for them to leave, and then they can die. They don't right. want to do it when yes. the family is around. So, yeah, for many, it's a very private thing. Yep. Yeah. Wow. A good friend of ours was in hospice, and she told me, would you just move over? And I said, okay, sure, what? And she said, you're standing in front of my mother. <laughs> She's already seeing beyond... She died the next morning, no. but she was doing what what um, Jeannie or Dad might have been doing is maybe he saw somebody coming to get him. Who knows? But I think so. I think yeah. so. I agree. Certainly Who seems totally reasonable been? to me. <laughs> yeah. Probably his mom, his wife, probably mom. Yeah. 
she had left rather suddenly about five years ago. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, she was taken to the hospital for some heart challenges. And they checked her over and said, oh, you know, everything's pretty much fine, but we'll give her for the night and and uh, just do some tests. And mm-hmm. she instructed Dad to leave because it was getting dark and didn't want him driving in the dark. So he was about 20 minutes from the hospital. And uh, by the time he got home, his phone rang saying, you need to come back. She's left. It just Oh, my God. So, so I suspect that... Uh, and they were very connected, so I suspect that it was probably him that, uh, or her that came to take him, go with him. Oh, yeah. It's so good that you did that. You know, I have so many doctors in my family, and they all say, you know, we are instructed to keep keep them alive. Often the families will not let them go, and the amount of stress and the amount of money that is spent on patients in the last three days of their lives or the last month is just insane, they say, you know, and so it's wonderful that you just let him go. Well, he was already fragile enough from what he'd been through, yeah. his aspirating food and lung infection and, and uh, antibiotic. He was so fragile that, uh, you know, we stopped. They were starting to come in to do a resuscitation, and we just talked for a half a right. second. And it was just like, no, what kind of damage? You know, I mean, you hear people, they resuscitate their broken ribs. There's, yeah, like, what? what oh, yeah. What? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. he wasn't coming back to a robust, vibrant body, so... Right. It was. Uh, it was just. I think the right thing to do mm. to just bless him and and thank him for all that he brought to the world. I mean, he leaves a legacy, a very large family of just wonderful, sweet people. You know, we've every July Fourth, he always hosted a uh, a family reunion down on the farm, where anywhere from eighty to two hundred people would show up for three or four days together. And I, I've done that gathering, I'm not sure now, four or five times. And with all that family in that space, you know, they're out camping in a field basically beside a river. I've wow. never, seen a cross, never seen a crossword in those five or six years that Wonderful. I've been at that reunion. So that's the kind of family that he inspired and created. And so Isn't he definitely left a legacy behind it is. It really is. And then, you know, and I get the bonus of Jeannie in the package, you know. I mean, how can I argue about that? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm blessed. What are you going to do now? Are you going to stay? <laughs> well, we still have Aria. And We've got we a still granddaughter here. But life is definitely, you know, going to be different. I mean, for four years yeah. now, it's kind of been wrapped around at least every other day. Been in to see Dad. Of course, for the next, I don't know how long it'll take me, but trying to get everything Closed, you know, and finished and concluded and <laughs> text. Wow, I know it takes like ages. That. But it went really smooth yesterday with, you know, getting things settled and, I mean, just cooperative. I mean, you know, I had written out, kind of based on mom's obituary, I'd already written out dad's because there's so many family members. I mean, he he was one of 12 children and then wow, you know, he got... Four kids and and uh, seventeen grandchildren, one great grandchild, you know, and so getting all of that together for the funeral home and typing out the names so that they didn't have to try to figure out if they had the right spelling. <laughs> and oh my God, 
It just you went would get stuck in. with that one, Jeannie. Huh? You would get stuck She's with the family that one. Scribe. You're the perfect <laughs> one to do it. <laughs> and I'm also, you know, I, I, when I went in and I already had the, like dad's military discharge and all that, you know, so they can have a military um, honors at the graveside and, and oh, you know, nice. I had all of that stuff already and social security numbers and I mean just everything and I said, I know Good my for you. <laughs> Oh, that's great. And, and the know, funeral home was just amazing. They had suggested, they well, you know, if you want to come tomorrow, we'll have everything ready. And Stephen, Jeannie's brother, had to head back home because he's a pilot, and he had medical physicals to do for his pilot's license, so it's something he had to do. And so we said, gee, he's got to go. Can we do anything? He said, give us an hour. And he had him ready and a room set up for us. And So we just had wow. a small private family viewing and... It was just sweet. And in that hour, all of us headed over to the assisted living, and we got all of stuff, all of Dad's furniture and stuff out of the room and into a storage unit and back to the funeral home within that hour. I mean, it was like the cooperation <laughs> and the movement. It was like a well-oiled machine. Everybody and jumped in. Great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so we'll, and we'll was, be remaining I'm, right where we are. We've got Aria Rain to raise. She's four. And uh, mm. so that process will go on. And, uh, you know, this uh, Thursday we fly to uh, up into Upper New well, York we're State. Driving. We're, we're having flying. family coming in. Well, we're driving, but they're flying in. Ryan and Gabby and Aria mm-hmm. Rain are flying up to Niagara Falls. They're actually going to go over to the Canadian side for a day to see it and, uh, and then come join us at the timeshare. And, a bunch of my family's coming down, so we're just going to have a week together to play. So. But we'll be doing the radio show from there. Yeah. What was that, Jeannie? I said Michael, Jay, and Jamie and the new baby are flying over too. And oh, nice. We'll have our two youngest granddaughters with us this next week. Yeah. That sounds wonderful. Everybody circles the wagons. Yep. Yep. So how are you? How are things was, in your world? Oh, go ahead, Jean. What were you going to say, Jean? I was just going to. I was just going to say, even to the point of, you know, I know this may sound morbid to some people, but when they walked us in the room to pick out the coffin, and we walked in, and right in the center of the room was one made out of barn wood, and I mean, we were all like, "That's Daddy." <laughs> I mean, it was just made out of oh rough my barn God. wood. It was perfect because wow. you know he's from the farm. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. That's as it should be. And inside of the lid, there, there was an etching of an old farmhouse and such. So it was, it was just like, oh, perfect. Was that something they had made or had he ordered that? No. No, it was just something they, they had sitting they on they their sell floor. It a lot. Wow. <clears throat> Perfect. He actually shared the story of uh, an, an old farmer type guy came in. I didn't get the time frame, but some years ago, with that 
coffin in the back of his truck. And he said, here, look, I want to show you what I made. And it was the start of his business. And then he was saying that uh, this guy now has moved his business. He was here locally, moved to Texas, and they have a warehouse, and they have warehouses all over the country, and they just go buy barnwood, and they make real, honest-to-God barnwood coffins. And and, uh, so it was just like, you know, everybody's like, that's it. Everybody was just like gravitated to that particular one. It was, I mean, really pretty, and the theme was just mm-hmm. right on for Dad. And so. boy, the mystery of what happens when you leave the body. Gosh, it's hard to get yeah, the mind that's around. Amazing. It. A near life experience. I think that's what he was right. having the minute that uh, his eyes opened like that. It was he'd moved into that near life experience we talked about and rocked on from there. Oh. Well, good reports. So, how about your world? What's exciting in your world? Well. I'll get into that. It doesn't seem right to bring it all up now. You've been through so much. Let's just sit with this. It's amazing. There's probably much more to say. Mm, an amazing experience. It was. It was really very sweet and very powerful. And, again, we're, we were just so thankful that he waited for us to get there. I really yeah. believe that he and Janie had a full-blown soul-to-soul conversation when she was breathing Saturday morning, and uh, you know, it was twenty to thirty minutes after we got there that it's like, okay, I'm out of here. Thank you, Janie, for permission. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the radio. I mean, it isn't as if nothing's happening around there. Wow. So um, you, you, I, I was confused. I came on for your show. I thought Tim, had, Tim Hayes had had a, a, a rerun, and I've been so busy. I've got to go to Ohio in another day and take a grandson to see some colleges. And I thought Tim was running a rerun, so I didn't even listen. And then when I dialed into yours, it seemed like a rerun too. So I got right off and went back to work. Tim did do a rerun, but it ran over. So right at the end of it, we had trouble getting it to shut down when we were starting our section today. So that's what happened. So the the conversation transitioning from Tim's show to our show back when he did that one a couple of years ago just kept running for the first five or six minutes of of today's show. So it was And then when he started talking to Michael, I got up and went in there and I said, are you talking or is it still the recording? (laughs) The switchboard wasn't showing that it was playing, and it kept going, and it sounded like Michael and and Tim were having a conversation. It's like, I don't know how to stop it. (laughs) Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? Yeah. It was strange. (laughs) Divine order. The other day, day, Tim ran a rerun, and I didn't know it was a rerun, and I came on too late to find out it was a rerun. Then he said, oh, 610, you've pushed the button. And I said, I am not to myself. And then I realized it was a rerun. I was talking on it. <laughs> you were <laughs> listening to yourself. Nice to hear yourself. <laughs> I know. And I thought, what? I'm not saying anything. What's going on here? <laughs> yeah. 
Did, did his input have any new insight for you? As a matter of fact, it did. I won't go into oh, it, cool. but yeah, it was good to hear it again. <clears throat> That's one of the good yeah, reasons to keep old worksheets and go back over them because they've always got more gifts to give. Yeah, so. and you don't even remember what you did, which is horrible to say. Yep. <laughs> but I had done a big piece of work, and I got reintroduced nice. to it. It was very good. Yeah. Sweet. All right, it's 2 o'clock. Sweet. We're down the last few seconds, yes. Well, you have a blessed day. Appreciate you. And everybody, thanks for joining us. Have the best year yet of your eternal lives. Blessings.